0: My goal is just to get out and be a lot more active in filmmaking, go and film. I want to be a filmmaker, not a film talker and talk about filmmaking. I'm gonna spend way less time on set talking about it and waiting to do a shot. I'd like to just roll the entire time because it's so much fun when the camera's rolling. It's magic.
1: That was Canadian-based director, Lee Powis. Known for his cutting-edge commercials, tattooing his little brother at the age of 11, and for his pastime as a professional skier. On this episode, we'll learn about Lee's transition into film and more about his mind-bending commercials. Welcome to Real Drive, produced by Step Studios. All right, what's happening, Lee? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Nick. How are you, brother? I'm good. Just Locked down in LA,
0: hanging down south. How's how's life up in Vancouver and Whistler? Where are you at right now? It's good. I'm in. I'm up in uh, up in Whistler at the moment. I live down in Vancouver, but we sort of, as soon as this started to happen, we made the trip up to Whistler to sort of be with the family, um, just in case things were to get more out of hand than they already have. But Whistler, even on when it's got tourists, there's only ten thousand people here. So now it's thinned out to just locals. So basically, there's no one here. So it's really nice. You can still go on walks and safely go about your day. But to be honest, Jess and I have just sort of been inside really.
1: Well, I feel that. Well, I'm stoked to be talking to you, man. It's been too long since I've seen you. And it's it's fitting for the first episode on this podcast, just because we're such close friends. Hopefully this goes smooth. And for, for anyone tuning in, I'm Nick Martini, one of the owners of Step Studios. Uh, Lee works with us as a director, but is also a close friend. And we've known each other for shit about, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years now. Lee and I actually met when we were both skiing professionally back in the day. And I had the pleasure of watching Lee transition as a psycho, crazy stuntman athlete to starting to make films around our skiing. And then over the years, transition into what I consider a prolific sort of visionary filmmaker, one of my favorite filmmakers to watch. And He's amassed a bit of a a cult following, gotten to work on some really awesome projects. We're stoked to dig into that a little bit today, figure out how you got from point A to point B, and hear some more insights to to what it takes to bring some of those projects together that I think hopefully the people who are listening who have seen Lee's work know that some of his visuals are pretty mind-bending. It's a lot of visual effects, a lot of uh, insane camera movements that are super technical. And I think lifting the hood a little bit and trying to give you guys some behind the scenes on that would be awesome. So pumped to be chatting Lee and... I don't know if you want to introduce yourself a little bit and tell us where where did you come from, man? How do you get to
0: Canada? Yeah, no, you know, I think is really fitting too for us being the first because we were together. You're the last person I was with before the lockdown too. <laughs> Hell yeah! I know, in better times. You know what? We've done it all together. We've been washed up skiers together. <laughs> yeah. we've survived a uh, international travel through the coronavirus together. I don't, I don't know what's next.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, man, let's start from the beginning. Why don't you tell the audience sort of like how you you're Vancouver based, but obviously you're British. Like how how did you end up in Canada? And what brought you to Canada and where how do you like wind up in this film world to start?
0: Yeah. So I was I grew up in the UK until I was fifteen. I'm actually coming up on my anniversary where I'm gonna have lived in Canada for the same amount of time as I was grew up in England. Nice. And then sort of long story short, I was a bit of a problem child at school. And so my parents Asked if I would like to do an extended vacation to see if it would set me straight a bit, and just to be away from my friends who I was getting in trouble with and whatnot. So anyway, we we moved to Canada, and then my mum, me, and my brother all ended up falling in love with Canada. So we never actually went back to the UK, which was, I mean, great for because I found skiing, I found adventure, and all the ways I was using my energy before in a negative way, I was able to like put that into something more positive. But um, the bad thing, I was never able to finish high school. So I sort of didn't do that whole thing. (laughs) But I fell in love with skiing, started to do that. I was lucky enough that that just kind of panned out. I guess like sort of when I like to do something, I'll just do it until there's no time left in the day. And so I was able to sort of somehow get somewhere in skiing. I guess it wasn't really skiing if you sort of, it was urban skiing, which is sort of just jumping into brick walls, <laughs> being pulled in by a winch and jumping into a brick wall. So you can't really call it skiing. It is kind of sort of stunt jumping or something. Yeah. So I did that for an extended period of time. That's obviously how we were able to meet.
1: And for viewers who, who know Phil Lee through his film work, just to provide some context, we may have a mixed audience here. Because you did have a pretty big fandom from the ski world, but Lee was a pretty well-known professional skier who was doing video parts and premiering his films around the world. So before Lee got into film, you sort of had a, had a following as a skier and, and I would assume some of that following is carried over and followed your film career too. So depending on who's listening, if, if you weren't aware of Lee's past, he, he might have a whole, whole other part of his life to share.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was, it was so funny. It's um, skiing for me. I've always found it so interesting. I mean, especially as you did the same thing, you and Cam and the, the rest of the guys, there's been a lot of transition from skiing to film, which I've always found interesting. And even when I skied, I would always say the same thing. I was, I always thought I could bring any skier, like the most any, anyone, amateur, and to any of the spots that I would build, and they'd probably be able to do it way better. But they wouldn't have built the spot in the first place, which is sort of. I found that I was able to sort of see a feature or something like that, but I, I could, I couldn't even really spin over a five forty. So I would just. I sort of saw my strength that I could just look at a weight like a wall and build it differently. You had
1: a vision, man. <laughs> it kept working.
0: And applied it like that, and then the same thing uh, so that sort of translated over to filmmaking. I find it. I miss skiing. I miss like the physical and I the, the sort of danger involved in it. So when I film make now, I try and retain that sort of that vibe, like it's sort of like adventure film me But I don't do adventure filmmaking, but. I like to really push things on set. So it kind of creates that same space where you're hiking a feature or trying to do a trick 500 times. And I sort of try and keep that same ma- mentality. Like if a take doesn't involve, you know, hurting your mind like you would your body skiing, then it, it shouldn't be a good enough take.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and that's awesome. And I think, w- weirdly enough, we've seen so many people come from sort of the action sports world take up film. From the surf community, from the skate community, you'll get Spike Jones, you'll get so many people we know from the snow world who ended up being successful in the film industry one way or another. And I think it's a lot of those action and outdoor sports, you grow up with cameras on your hands. You're not going to soccer practice, your right. film, your friends, do crazy shit. So you always have cameras and like as you grow up, I guess a lot of people get that film bug and,
0: and yeah, here we are. It is weird that it's just the sheer amount. It's almost like when you can't ski anymore, at least everyone I knew, sort of. Films. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when you get washed up, <laughs> you can't physically perform anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So tell me, tell the audience more about how you got from point A to point B. So you're you're sitting in Whistler, you're skiing professionally, as all of us we we got riddled with injuries in in our sports careers. so You had some blown knees, I know. Yeah. And you started originally like taking filmmaking a little more seriously by by shooting your friends skiing, which then yep. transitioned. Obviously, you're in a much different world now, but. How did that start on the ski world? And then how did you transition that into more of traditional narrative filmmaking, commercial filmmaking?
0: Yeah, so I, I, when I was still skiing for a time, a close friend of mine, Brandon Kelly, he was also a skier. We would be we would talk about film even before either of us left skiing. And then he, I remember he made the transition one year to stop uh, skiing and then go film. And I remember seeing his, the first shots he got for the Poor Boys movie, he was able just to do it, I guess. It was, it was just sort of in him. And then so that sort of inspired me to then, I was ready to just try something different. i have been pushing myself physically for a period of time. But I was excited to sort of see what I could do with my mind. And so I started doing that. And then, so we started making short films together. We made a couple uh, sort of 10 minute short films, just experimental stuff. And then Sean Pettit actually approached both of us about starting a, a, ski, like a ski film company for him. And so we did a couple really odd, bizarre experimental films. It was amazing, actually. I mean, he really gave us opportunity to to try things. And that was really where I sort of, we filmed some skiing, but then we also tied in some storylines, really bad storylines, but storylines. And it was so much fun shooting the narrative aspect of that. And so I sort of just fell in love then right away. And then it was very apparent that that mix of like extreme sport plus acting doesn't work or never will. But it was a great taste of narrative filmmaking and making films outside of sport and then so basically i fell in love with that and then so we started making we would go filming as much as possible just filming and i started to edit and then i think that's when i started to come down and hang out with you guys and do some of the post work with you guys and i fell in love with editing
1: yeah and i remember that like when we first started working together i had seen Obviously, we had met briefly in the ski community yeah. years before, and then years later to see you having success in film, I remember reaching out because of the movies you were making with Sean Pettit that, like you're saying, as experimental as they were, you could tell that you you had a pretty serious vision as a filmmaker and you were doing a lot of the editing. And I remember the first time you came down to L.A., it just sort of all, all clicked when we were still editing out of like the closet in our apartment at the time Uh, and Lee started coming down to LA and it's like you came down once and then again then all of a sudden you were like almost living here for like a year or two (laughs) And and I can remember that slow transition from editing to directing when you're editing with us in LA but then you're shooting with your friends up in Canada and then we started to see the stuff you were directing and we all had that holy shit moment like why is Lee editing for us and not directing (laughs) and that's when we started like working together in a more official way from the step side of things but from your perspective what was that process like not only working with step but also starting to do more brand and commercial projects with your friends in vancouver as well
0: well i I honestly actually what i found is it was similar to what i'm experiencing right now not saying like working for you guys was like isolation but one thing i found was really positive out of this is it's is put a box on creative. So before when I'd film make, I'd try and go shoot a short film, it would be lackluster, because there was so many ways my brain wanted to go. But then coming down to work with you guys, like I get to edit on one of your films, Nick, so you provide with some beautiful visuals, a beautiful story. And then there would be a bit of a a running track where you could only run forwards, if that makes some sense. And what I have found, instead of it being restricting, it's almost amazing. It's like, you can choose to cover this thing right now and then you can go, you can run as far as you want in that direction, but you can't go left or right. But then what we could do is like I could bring random songs or ideas to it into that box to then allow it to, you know, develop and become more than what's on the paper, which is really fun. And
1: tell us what, how you see the relationship between editing and directing. Like I know myself, I I direct as well. I'm hell bent on editing or having a hand on my own post-production process. And you being not only a director I admire, but you're probably what I would consider the most talented editor I know. Like I still beg you to edit my shit. So like knowing that you have a passion for both editing and directing, which do you like? Do you miss editing? And what's it like to edit your own projects? And then the inverse, have to hand off your projects when you don't get to edit them.
0: Yeah. So I, I, I don't think you can say any absolutes because people work differently, obviously, but I know for myself personally, I could never direct without the post-production side. Cause you. that's when the film, there's so much magic in the post-production. Like there's so many stages to the filmmaking thing that makes it so fun. Like when I'm directing, I'm, I can think of how it's going to look in the post room and how it will cut even before we're even shooting the take or whatever. And so that I find that is really, really useful. But then when I've done the editing and take it to the post room, I can't tell you how much magic happens in there.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about some, some of your projects. I know that like over the past year, you've done five or six big projects that at least from my perspective as your friend have sort of like surmounted a lot of your past work. Yeah. And they're so special. And each one of them has such crazy elements to it that obviously took a ton of planning, ton of creative thought. And I also get we like as... Uh, the production company on a few of these get asked all the time, legitimately, like how the hell does Lee do this? Like they don't understand how you actually make some of this stuff. So I thought it could be cool for a couple specific ones, like to start the NFL piece, which if anyone listening hasn't seen, it would be a good time to pause and check it out. But at stepped, we helped develop a NFL commercial with Oakley last year that Lee directed. That was the the concept is sort of do a full POV commercial, which I'm sure is most people familiar with, POV is typically really low-fi, like GoPros and stuff. And we want to do the opposite and try to make this this really impactful POV piece. So I thought it'd be cool if you could talk through some more of the technical side, because I think that's what people may be curious about. Like, How did you actually rig the cameras? I know some people have seen some behind the scenes photos. And then from a visual effects standpoint, knowing that the players were in three different cities and we didn't have a filled NFL stadium. How do you get the experience that you created that all these guys are on one field in a big NFL stadium? Can you lift the curtain
0: a little bit? Totally. I I think for me at least it's um, I fake it till I make it. Honestly, I dream really big and then I won't let anyone tell me that they're not possible I I do reason with my dreams, so I'll think of an idea and how it can be done, and I'll have to try and come up with five reasons why it can work, so I'm prepared. So if someone comes to me and says it can't, then I can at least offer reasoning why I think it is doable, and then if they can offer more reasons why it can't be done, then that's even, that's totally fair then. And it's just knowing that you can dream and try crazy transitions, like we want to move in past this professional's eye with a camera that can... Just pass, past his eyeball. Why don't you talk about that specific shot a little bit? He's referring
1: to the eyeball, the opening shot of the NFL commercial, tracks around the player in 360 degrees while zooming in through his helmet, past his eye into a POV setup. Can you give like a quick breakdown of how that was actually achieved?
0: Yeah. And so that was a beautiful day. So we we were told we only had half an hour with the talent. And like the, the shots that we had were obviously very technical and with, with an element of risk involved, like obviously putting a camera anywhere near an athlete who just won the Super Bowl's eye is not, you know, that gets a bit scary then. But so basically we had half an hour until so we practiced the shot over and over before he even arrived with us. So then we got the first part of the shot, which was tricky because we had to we had we had to move the athlete, not the not the camera, basically. So all we did was a push in whilst moving him. So there's all these and then we had the human element of spinning him at the right speed. And there was so many variables, especially with the 30 minutes ticking
1: and for those listening some of this is in the behind the scenes film we did with that production but as lee's describing we pretty much put pat mahomes on this pedestal surrounded by green screen (laughs) and decided that it was easier to move his body in all these crazy directions and spinning rather than moving the camera at all and just shoot the whole thing on green screen which
0: ended up working pretty damn well it did and so what's tricky about that is when you talk about the foresight so that's when the editing really comes in because to picture he's not spinning Or the camera's not moving, so it's really hard to get bearings on what that's actually going to feel like and be able to see that in the final product because it's really hard for me as a director. If I can't see the shot and where it's going to fit into the puzzle, then it's really hard for me to move past it. But so that's where that sort of helped out. So we got the first part done, then came putting on the probe lens and moving it past his eyeball, (laughs) which was, as you can imagine, there's so many variables because the athlete isn't fixed. If he just lapses in concentration and just turns towards us and hits it. There was so many things that we had to be, and especially with the stress of the five minutes on the clock ticking down. And so we were able to do that. And we actually, even no matter how much you plan, we actually had to change the plan in, within that five minutes. We thought we'd move him and we practice it and it wasn't working with him. So we had to decide for him. We, put, we left the probe where it was and had him do the motion himself. So he actually physically moved his eye and head past the probe lens and in a scenario like that it was again just making sure the crew even though we were switching the plan just making sure the cameraman everyone felt confident doesn't don't worry about switch switching the plan with five minutes left we're confident we're going to get the best shot ever and just keep on pushing
1: yeah well that was one hell of a production and I, I, <laughs> to anyone who's listening who wants to see what the hell he's talking about to check out the behind the scenes and the commercial they're both on our site I thought that was like a huge feat of like camera tech CGI work. It was impressive. And there's been so many other projects like that. One thing I want to mention as going through some of your work or like some of my favorite pieces this morning, I keep noticing like a big space theme, which I don't even think is, uh, us <laughs> as friends have ever talked about. What's like <laughs> the Valens piece and the piece you shot in South Africa? I know. And there's one other space one too. Oh, spider. So like what do you have a fascination with outer space? Cause it's always you who dreams this shit up. So. I know.
0: I do. I I, I like it and, and it's actually, believe it or not, I mean I love space films, I love them, but it's actually my sort of fascination isn't based upon oding to those films. It's actually I the fa- my favorite thing about space is the aspect the dreaming aspect. I just pride myself on dreaming. I love dreaming, big goals. And there's something involved in people collectively coming together to dream a dream that big is so cool. It's so unknown up there, you know, Yeah. there's something about it that just reminds me of dreaming that I love so much. You're always able to
1: somehow make these visions happen. And obviously, as we all know, you, you really lean into the people around you to just make <laughs> it work. But it's impressive. Like a lot of these scenes, like people in space that feel like some of these big feature films are done with, surprisingly less resources than you'd imagine, which I've always liked how you, you guys get creative and find a way. And another example of that, and I don't know if this is released yet, the Canadian Lottery spot yeah. where you guys did a flipping room, which I think if you're into film, you've seen that over the years in different types of films and stuff. But most people who do that go to a Warner Brothers lot or go go somewhere and build this massive rig. <laughs> Instead, Lee calls, and you can tell the story, but Lee calls his buddies up in Squamish. Yeah, <laughs> mechanic shed to build an entire flipping room. What I don't know if that spot's live yet, but it will be soon. If it, what can you tell us about?
0: So we actually did that, and we we uh, sought out some advice from someone who had been on some space set in Vancouver, one of the big big three million dollar productions where they did one, and it was a three million dollar bill and everything to make it happen. And we were like, yeah, we have no money, but we're still we still want to try. And so this is a testament to don't let anyone tell you you can't do anything because. That was like five people building that. They drew drew it, and like they spoke to one of their their parents. One of the builders spoke to his parents, who happens to be like an, an know, engineer of some kind. Yeah, an, an, an engineer. And so they were they threw some ideas around, came up with this idea, and then literally five hardworking dudes just built that in a shed. Instead of three million dollars, you guys probably spent like ten grand. Exactly, <laughs> and it was amazing. It was such hard work, and it wasn't easy. And it was so much involved in it like the safety and the, the stunt work with the talent in there but it was just amazing that budget has no play on dreams you can you can achieve all sorts of stuff as long as you're willing to go for it and try oh yeah
1: well man i gotta say like as a friend who's known you for so long i've been super impressed over the past five years how much you've been able to accomplish and how quickly you've been able to do it it's it's amazing to watch and i can't wait to so, you continue. And, and that brings me to sort of like some closing thoughts here. Like, where, what do you see the next five years of your career going? I mean, we've seen you ski professionally, then make ski films, then make short films, then make commercials. You're talking about shooting a feature film in the woods. Like, what's next when you're talking about dreaming big? What's where does Lee
0: House go from here? So, yeah, so the, the feature film is the, ne- the big thing on my mind right now. That's going to be a really fun experience. And so, I, I my, my, Goal is just to get out and be a lot more active in filmmaking. Go and film. I want to be a filmmaker, not a film talker, and talk about filmmaking. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to spend way less time on set talking about it and waiting to do a shot. I'd like to just roll the entire time because it's so much fun when the camera's rolling. It's magic. And so, my goal is sort of just to have a lot more memory cards and a lot more film rolls and just shoot a lot more when I get out there. And I just want to spend more time filmmaking because I. I love it and I realize that I need it so much and it allows me to grow and allows my brain to keep moving. Otherwise, I've noticed it slows down yeah. and then it can end up stopping and that would be terrifying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think any of us have any fear of you slowing down. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm pumped and hopefully I can be along on some of the adventures and watch you keep crushing it. Man, it's, it's been amazing to watch. And thank you again for taking the time just to shed some light on your approach. and. And how you do the magic you do, man? I'm sure everyone's excited to see more. So, any closing words or? Um, no, uh, only that I love you. <laughs> <laughs> it's mutual, man. Well, thanks again, Lee. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, for everyone tuning in to see more of Lee's work, you can visit stepstudios.com. You can visit Scrap on Vimeo. You can visit Gang. You can visit anywhere on the internet. Type Lee's name. You can check some of this shit out. So, thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Jerry. To see Lee's work, behind-the-scenes clips, and more episodes, visit us at steppedstudios.com slash podcasts. Tune into the next episode of Real Drive to hear from award-winning cinematographer Mac Fisher.